Well, good morning on this Sunday before VBS. It looks so different in here and around our campus. And I just, I want to give a shout out to all of our volunteers and our staff, some of whom were here till um, two in the morning um, this morning, um, setting up and uh, giving attention to detail. And uh, we are so excited about what we're expecting God to do this next week, starting tomorrow. And I hope you'll join us next Sunday for VBS Sunday as we take a break in our series and we celebrate all that God God has done. Uh, you know, about five years ago, I completed a certificate program in spiritual direction. And if you're not familiar with that phrase, uh, Christian author Richard Foster uh, defines spiritual direction this way. He says, spiritual direction is a relational process where one person, a director, helps another person, a directee, discern what God is saying and doing in that directee's life. Um, and so during this three-year program I was in, um, one Saturday a month, I attended a four-hour class with about 20 other students. I read a different book about Christian spirituality or discipleship or sp spiritual formation every month during that three years. Um, and then during year three, um, I provided spiritual direction to three directees um, under the supervision of a seasoned spiritual director. And I learned a lot from that program, a lot, I think, that's helped me be a better pastor, um, also been able to use that training within our denomination, ECO, the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. Uh, I provide spiritual direction at our annual um, national gathering for pastors and elders and um, also um, work with some future pastors as they are in the process towards ordination in ECO. But anyways, um, during the first year of that program, we read a book called Holy Listening by a pastor named Margaret Gunther. And in that book, the author, Margaret Gunther, compares Christian spiritual formation to childbirth and compares spiritual directors to midwives. And I remember reading Holy Listening. I remember struggling to relate to Margaret's metaphor because as a man, I've never experienced childbirth. Um, I mean, I guess in a sense I have because I was born, um, but that's different. And I was present for the births of my fourth sons, but I think you'd agree that a dad's presence or another person's presence during childbirth is not quite the same as a mother's experience going through childbirth. Some of you are saying, yeah, no kidding. So, so what does this all have to do with today's message? Well, we've been in a series through the eighth chapter of Romans called Life in the Spirit. Um, and in today's passage in Romans 8, Childbirth is the primary metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses to describe life in the Spirit. Um, and so in retrospect, I probably should have scheduled someone to speak this morning that has actually experienced childbirth. Um, but since I didn't have the foresight to do that, um, I asked Cindy, who's a bit of an expert since she's done it five times, um, to read over my message and to give me feedback. So I'm going to do my best with Cindy's feedback. So, um, so today in Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 27, we're going to see three ways that life in the Spirit is like childbirth. So if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word today from Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 27. It's the word of the Lord for us this morning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we have hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our minds knows, or searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. The key word for these six verses is the word groan. We see it in verse 22, again in verse 23, and then finally a third time in verse 26. And the Greek word Paul uses here that's translated groan refers to audible sounds that are caused by deep concern, pain, or distress. And verse 22 further connects this groaning to the labor experience that comes before childbirth. So the groaning that Paul pictures in these six verses refers to the groans of childbirth, the pain and distress that a mother experiences in her body during the laboring delivery process of giving birth to a child. And these three occurrences of the word groan in these verses point to three different kinds of labor and delivery that relate to our life in the Spirit. So in verse 22, we see the labor of creation, the labor of creation. And the word for creation here refers to all that God has made. Uh, creation includes the sun and the planets, the mountains and deserts, the valleys and oceans. It includes mosquitoes and grizzly bears, uh, salmon and salamanders, the entire created world that God made in Genesis 1 and 2. And last week, we saw in verses 19 through 21 that all of this creation, the entire created world, waits in anticipation, standing on tiptoe for the glory of God's children to be revealed. That like guests at a wedding, straining to see the bride come out the door in all of her glory, creation strains waiting for the glory that God has hidden inside of you as his son or his daughter to one day be made fully visible. This will take place when Jesus comes again. And creation waits in anticipation for this glory to be revealed because the revelation of that glory within God's people will be a signal of a final end to the decay and destruction that human sin brought to the created world. The appearance of our glory will lead to the healing of God's creation. But here in verse 22, Paul shifts the image to childbirth. Creation is not just waiting in anticipation like guests at a wedding waiting to see the bride. Creation is also pregnant and in labor since human sin entered into our world in Genesis chapter 3 to our, through Adam and Eve, 
Sin has corrupted creation, and creation has been groaning. So natural phenomenon like droughts and wildfires and climate changes and hurricanes and viruses and shark attacks are like labor contractions. Human sin corrupted God's creation as our forefathers and we ourselves misused our mandate to steward God's creation and instead have done things to destroy it. And this has subjected the natural world, we learned last week, to frustration or futility, to the decay of death. Creation is in labor. Now, let's remember that childbirth is not a disease. Childbirth is the way that God designed for humans to reproduce, to have children. And certainly a disease or a sickness might also cause us to groan with pain or distress. But the groaning of childbirth is different than the groaning of a sickness or a disease. Because even though labor is painful, sometimes as painful as the groans that come from a sickness or a disease, labor is filled with hope because if all goes well, it's leading towards new life towards a birth. You see, creation's groaning is not a sign that creation is terminal. The labor pains of creation are a sign that God will one day bring forth a birth. Creation groans for the birth of the new creation. Creation groans for the birth of a new creation. Our world is not afflicted with a terminal disease, making our world a hopeless cause. Instead, our world is pregnant, groaning for its own redemption, groaning for the birth of the new creation. We find this promise of a new creation throughout the Bible. We find it in Isaiah Chapter 65, verse 17, where the prophet Isaiah says, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. And then the apostle Peter quotes that promise in 2 Peter 3.13, when he writes, in keeping with God's promise, the one made in Isaiah, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth. You see, the new heaven and new earth, the new creation promised by God is not the annihilation of this world as if God was going to completely destroy everything he created in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and start all over again. God's new creation is the transformation of this creation into a new state of being where the decay and destruction of sin no longer permeate the natural order of things. Christian theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way, part of the point of the image of childbirth here in Romans 8 is that this coming new world will involve not the abolition of the present world, but its transformation. The Old Testament often pictures this as This transformation as a change in the natural order. So where predators like wolves and lions live at peace with their prey. But the most vivid description of this new creation is found in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21. 
after John's vision of the second coming of Jesus at the end of the age, setting all things right. In Revelation 21, it says, John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Well, obviously there's some symbolism here as is common in the book of Revelation, but we get the gist of a redeemed, transformed, renewed world. So when I heard this week of flooding in Virginia with dozens of people missing, I'm reminded creation is in labor. When I hear wildfires in Yosemite, I'm reminded that creation is in labor. When my car is covered with ashes because yet another California wildfire, I'm reminded the creation is in labor. When I look at my dying lawn in my yard because of drought restrictions, I'm reminded that creation is in labor. And this, of course, doesn't mean that we should shouldn't try to solve these things and do better. Cindy reminded me when she read this message that a mother in labor is not passive. She's active during the contractions, either fighting against them or cooperating with them in hope. But creation is groaning for the birth of the new creation. Verses 23 through 25 refer to the labor of God's children. God's children are groaning as well. Paul pictures the Holy Spirit as first fruits in verse 23. And this is important because in an agricultural um, culture, the first fruits of a crop were the very first harvest of that crop, what that crop produces at the beginning of the harvest season. And so usually the first fruits were a much smaller crop than the harvest that would come later in the season, but the first fruits would give a farmer a preview of the quality of that year's harvest. Now in the Old Testament, first fruits are a big deal. The first fruits belong to God in a special and unique way. In fact, ancient Israel had a special annual celebration that they would celebrate every year at harvest season that would celebrate the first fruits of the harvest season. And that special festival was called Pentecost. You see, Jesus poured out the gift of the Spirit on his church in Acts chapter 2 during this annual celebration of the first fruits. So it's not surprising that the Spirit is referred to as firstfruits. And as God's children, we are the early harvest of a much larger harvest that will one day include all of God's creation. And until that happens, we groan as we await our own adoption. 
What we saw last week in verse 15, that through the Spirit, God has already brought us into God's family, that we are God's adopted daughters and sons in the family of God. And we saw in verse 16 last week that the presence of the Holy Spirit within us is God's guarantee that our adoption is real and that it's true and that we as the children of God have an inheritance within the family of God. But we're reminded here that we are still waiting for something in hope. That we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. This is a reference to the resurrection of our bodies. Because when Jesus came to our world, he didn't just come to save souls. He came to save people. And that includes saving their bodies, redeeming their bodies. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, at this future resurrection, our perishable, broken, worn out, weakened bodies will one day be raised imperishable, immortal, glorious, powerful. We will be raised from the dead just as Jesus was raised from the dead. And this will take place after Jesus comes again. So although we're truly part of the family of God now as his children and God is working inside of us to make us more and more like Jesus in our character, there's still a hope that we look forward to that we've not yet received. We await for the redemption of our bodies, our resurrection. God's children groan for the birth of their resurrection bodies. We groan for the birth of our resurrection bodies. Our bodies in their current condition are mortal. We age and we get sick and we get injured and we break bones and our bodies eventually break down and die. As the glory of our inner self is being renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit as we become more and more like Jesus in our spiritual transformation. Our outer self, our physical bodies are wasting away. And this wasting away causes us to groan like a mother in childbirth looking for our resurrection body. We groan for a body that will no longer get cancer. A body that will no longer be afflicted with aging and sickness. And it's not only our mortality that causes us to groan as God's children. The presence of the Holy Spirit within us also shows us how far we all still have to go in our own spiritual transformation. All of us have unruly passions and desires and inclinations that swirl around within us, that tempt us to live and to act in ways that betray our love for God and disobey God's command to love other people. And when we first become Christians, we're often only aware of the most obvious ways this is true. But the longer we grow in our faith, the more the Spirit of God shows us the less obvious ways that we still need God's transforming touch to love him with our whole hearts and to love other people well. We start to see subtle areas like spiritual pride, unforgiveness and bitterness, judgmentalism, 
ways that we try to manipulate people, ways that we try to control our circumstances and situations and on and on. And the longer we follow Jesus, if we're living our lives in the spirit, as Romans 8 teaches us to, the more we'll see areas that need God's transforming touch. See, the, the Christian life is a struggle. And the presence of the Holy Spirit does not make the struggle go away. In fact, if anything, the presence of the Spirit within us accentuates the struggle, creating a groaning that we didn't even have before. So if we're living our lives in the Spirit, the longer we're Christians, the more we'll notice things about how we react to people, about how we think about people, about our priorities that are displeasing to God and hurtful to others. And as we grow in our faith, the Spirit's presence begins to show us things that we never noticed before, that we never thought about before. And this will cause us to groan in distress, longing for a life that's free from these things. Don't let anyone tell you different. Life in the Spirit is a life of groaning. In between receiving the first fruits of the Spirit and the last fruits of our resurrection, we live in a season of struggle. Our sins are forgiven, but they still plague us. We know what's right, but we still find ourselves doing what we know to be wrong, sometimes again and again. We have the power to make the right choices, but we sometimes make the bad choices. And this can all be very discouraging. We can start to see ourselves as a hopeless cause, like we have a terminal sin sickness. But the Bible is inviting us here to view ourselves like a woman in childbirth, that the labor of our present-day groaning is actually producing a readiness for a birth. And that future birth will be the fullness of our redemption, the redemption of our bodies. That future birth will be an end to our struggles with sin, an end to our battles with unruly passions and desires and inclinations that feel natural inside of us but lead us away from God and away from loving people. Until then, as God's children, we groan. Our last two verses, verses 26 and 27, refer to the groaning or the labor of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is also groaning. Sometimes as God's children, we go through circumstances that knock us off balance and then create confusion within us about what God is up to and what God might want us to do in our situation. Ever been in that kind of situation before? I have. 15 years ago, when my, my first marriage was spiraling and beginning to head towards divorce, I was filled with confusion. God, what is going on here? Have you been in situations where you had no idea what God was doing or wanted you to do? Live long enough and you will be in those situations. The Holy Spirit helps us during those seasons. The, the word Paul uses in verse 26 pictures the Holy Spirit as coming to help carry the weight of that confusion. Picture um, uh, someone carrying a heavy box, straining under its weight, and suddenly another person appears and jumps in and helps distribute the weight of the heavy box so that you're both bearing its weight together. That's what the Spirit does for us. 
in those seasons of confusion. And in these situations, we often don't know what to pray for or how to pray. We don't know what God is doing in our situation. We can't see with clarity. And Paul assumes here that as God's children, we want to pray for God's will, that Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth in these situations as it is in heaven. But when we're confused, we don't know what God's will is. We don't know what God is doing. And so we don't know what or how to pray in our situation. And as we're crushed by that confusion, as we go through life, Romans 8 says, the Spirit himself prays for us through wordless groans. Sighs too deep for words, or as the New Living Translation puts it, groanings that cannot be expressed in words. The Spirit living in us as believers makes intercession to the Father for us, in us, through us. Our own groaning of confusion is joined to the Spirit's groaning when we groan together for the will of God to be done. The Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. So this is the third kind of labor. The Spirit groans with us in prayer for the birth of clarity within our confusion. The Spirit groans for the birth of clarity when we don't know what God is doing. The labor of the Holy Spirit means that our confusion that we go through is temporary. And the groaning that we experience during our confusion will one day produce clarity. You see, being confused by what God is doing is not a sign that something is wrong with you. When we feel weak or inadequate or bewildered about what God is up to, in a painful or difficult situation, it doesn't mean that we're, we're bad Christians. It's not a lack of faith or a lack of spiritual maturity. I've been reading the, the, the letters and papers from prison that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote over the last couple of weeks. And reading his letters while he was in prison reminds me that people who are deeply spiritually mature go through seasons of confusion, that that is normal. It's a labor pain. It's an opportunity for the Spirit himself to shoulder the burden with us. And as he does, life in the Spirit means that the Spirit of God intercedes for us, within us, and through us with wordless groans. You know, when my marriage was spiraling 15 years ago, I felt like I was drowning in a sea of confusion. And I, I remember trying every approach to prayer that I could learn about. I tried intercessory prayer, petitionary prayer, spiritual warfare prayer, breath prayer, prayer, written prayer, liturgical prayers, healing prayer, you name it. If there was a book about prayer, I read it to, to see if it would make a difference. But in the end, the only prayer I was left with were the wordless groans of the Spirit within my confusion that something better would eventually come, and one day I'd have clarity. So even though I haven't experienced literal childbirth, I resonate with what Paul says here in Romans 8, because I live in a creation that is groaning for the birth of a new creation. 
because I live in a mortal body that's groaning for the birth of its resurrection body. And because the spirit within me groans and prays for me according to God's will when I'm confused and don't know what or how to pray. Labor and delivery are powerful ways to picture what God is doing in our world and in our lives in this life in the spirit. So back to Margaret Gunther's book, Holy Longing. I think she's right. But our spiritual formation is a bit like childbirth. Paul says as much in Galatians when he says, my little children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Our spiritual growth is not a seamless, steady, simple rise from sinner to sainthood. It's painful at times, filled with fits and starts. It's messy and unpredictable, erratic and surprising. It's a little like labor and delivery. And this is actually a sign that the Spirit of God is working, that we are living life in the Spirit. Cindy reminded me after she read the message that the thing about labor is that once it starts, you can't stop it. You can't decide to reschedule it for next week or next month. Once it starts, you're in it. And she says that you can either fight it or give yourself to the process, actively participating, living in hope for the birth that will eventually come. And life in the spirit means we're in it. We are in it. And God is with us in it. And it's painful at times and exhilarating times. But we are in it. In it together. As we look forward for hope. For the fulfillment of all that God has promised. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words that come from you to our hearts. And Father, thank you for the, the careful balance they give of the wonderful inheritance that we have through Jesus to be your sons and daughters and your family, safe and secure with an inheritance that's ours. And yet the hope that we wait for patiently and sometimes not so patiently. Lord, as we go through seasons of exhilaration, may we rejoice in you. And as we go through seasons of labor pain, of contraction, may we turn to you. And may we give ourselves to the process of what you were doing, knowing that you are working, even in the hard times, to fulfill your perfect plan and to heal your creation that you made. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.